Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, July 28th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm David Escobar. Here's What's What around the city. Vice President Kamala Harris is coming to New York City this afternoon. That's right, David. She'll be in Brooklyn with Housing and Urban Development Secretary Marsha Fudge and Mayor Eric Adams. The trio will be in Bed-Stuy, touring the neighborhood and its local businesses. They'll be talking about the Biden administration's new investment in underserved communities and small businesses in New York. The White House says that investment is going to be worth tens of billions of dollars. Also in Brooklyn, UPS workers are expected to protest outside of the Foster Avenue facility. The workers are protesting unfair work conditions after last week's heat wave in New York. So, David, the workers are saying UPS didn't install fans in the trucks and there isn't proper ventilation in some UPS facilities. Yeah, Christina, there's reports that some UPS workers were sick with heat exhaustion last week after being forced to work in hot conditions. But UPS responded, saying the health of their workers is their top priority. The company says it invests more than $270 million in health safety programs every year. But workers are saying they're not seeing the benefits. Well, Christina, I'd never thought I'd see the day, but inflation is finally coming for one of New York City's food staples. The Associated Press is reporting that bacon, egg, and cheese prices around the city are rising. In one Bronx bodega, the price for the sandwich nearly doubled from two fifty to $4.50. So, David, the price of a bacon, egg, and cheese isn't the only thing that has gone up in the city. Admission to the Met, a one-bedroom apartment, and even dollar slices of pizza are all more expensive. That's all part of a larger trend around the country. The Department of Labor says that prices have surged 18% for goods and 8% for services. There is a new bill in Congress that would protect artists from having their own lyrics used against them in court. That's right, Christina. The House just introduced the Restoring Artistic Protections Act, a.k.a. the RAP Act. Since 2020, prosecutors in over 500 criminal cases have used artist song lyrics against them. Prosecutors have used lyrics from songs by artists like Young Thug, Gunna, and Takashi 6 9 to build RICO cases against them. Also in the world of music, Madonna gave fans an update on her new biopic. She says she's been in the final stages of developing the script, and she's got an actress in mind to play her role. Julia Garner is going to play Madonna. She's best known for her role as Anna Delvey in the Netflix series Inventing Anna. Madonna recently said in an interview with Variety that she'll be spearheading the film. She says she wants to avoid what she described as misogynistic men from telling her story. Even though we are facing a climate crisis, this issue hasn't been represented by a lot of books or art. I sat down with Fordham alum and author Andrew Dana Hudson. We talked about his new science fiction book that predicts how the climate crisis could impact our future. So climate researchers have adopted these models called shared socioeconomic pathways. They project what the world would look like without climate policy. Can you talk a little bit about how you incorporated SSPs into your book? This is kind of an interesting experiment of a book. I have five stories, and each one tells the story of the 60th Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is the the annual meeting called the COP. That's where the Paris Accord was signed. The five scenarios that the the book stories are based on, uh, real scenarios that are used by scientists, climate modelers. Uh, SSP1 is uh, kind of the sustainability scenario, which things basically go right. SSP2 is kind of middle of the road. SSP3 is like the really bad one. 
there's sort of a breakdown, there's a lot of conflict, we squabble over energy resources. SSP4 is a high inequality scenario, and SSP5 is the scenario in which we just sort of try and burn all the fossil fuels we can to power high economic growth. So, you know, I, I read all those and felt like, oh, these are science fiction stories, right? Uh, it's, it's fiction about social change, and there are different theories of social change embedded in it. Do you see one of those five pathways kind of playing out today? I'm just curious. All five of them, to me, represent aspects of our climate politics that already exist. You know, the SSP3 feels really close because it very much describes the kind of energy politics we're seeing around the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how it's affecting Europe. If you go to the top, there's also lots of people who are doing a tremendous job of trying to figure out how we live better and how we solve this problem and how we radically reinvent society. Do you think that grassroots change or systemic political change, like which one do you think is going to be more effective in helping us solve the climate crisis? We cannot solve the climate crisis without major state action. But, you know, every little, every little bit matters. And there's lots of decisions that people are going to make not about like whether they take a straw at, at lunch, but about like the investments they make in their home. The, the best thing that people can probably do right now is like unionize their workplace. Clearly like voting is not enough. We need like pressure, not just from the grassroots, but from an organized working class base. Saving the planet is, is a working class issue. What do you hope that this book teaches people about the climate crisis? I hope, I hope the book gives people a sense of what the institutions that are trying to save the planet look like, right? Because, you know, thousands of people go to the COP every year, but those decisions that are made there affect every single person on the planet. <laughs> we, we deserve to, to have a good understanding of how, uh, of, of how uh, these processes that are supposed to be, you know, ensuring our future are working. You know who really knows how these institutions work? The, the fossil fuel companies, right? That's very deadly for the rest of us. So uh, I hope that we can get on a more even footing with them and fight back a little. That was my co-host David Escobar talking with Andrew Dana Hudson about his new book, Our Shared Storm. Now we turn to the world of sports with WFUV's Taylor Macedo. So Taylor, the Subway Series came to a close last night. How did it pan out for the Yankees and the Mets? Yeah, David, so the Mets took a two-game sweep over the Yankees with last night's 3-2 victory. It's the Mets' first Subway Series sweep since 2015, and they've won six of their past seven games over the Yanks. The Mets held the Yankees 2-0 into the eighth. The Yanks attempted to respond with a two-run homer, courtesy of Glebor Torres, but the amazing Starling Marte singled the winning run home at the bottom of the ninth. The crosstown rivals will face each other again in late August, this time at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees' season might be in jeopardy, even though they're still leading the AL East with a 66-33 record. But they've lost 10 of their last 15 games and multiple players to injury. So, Taylor, based on what you're telling us, it sounds like the Yankees are in a bit of a slump. I will say the Yankees aren't doomed just yet. The team just traded for outfielder Andrew Benintendi from the Kansas City Royals. They sent free minor league pitching prospects in exchange. Benintendi's a high-contact hitter and recently played in the All-Star game. He will breathe new life into a weekend outfield with Giancarlo Stanton out with injury and Joey Gallo underperforming. One question looming around Benintendi is his COVID vaccination status, which might impact travel games. The Yankees open up a series against the Royals tonight at 7.05, and the Mets head to Miami for a series against the Marlins on Friday. 
Another story we've been following this week is the Brittany Griner case in Russia. You got any updates? Right now, the U.S. government is planning to negotiate a prisoner swap with Russia for the Phoenix Mercury star. The Biden administration is offering to send convicted arms dealer Victor Bout back to Russia for Griner and another detained American, Paul Whelan. The Kremlin says no agreements have been finalized yet. Griner testified yesterday that authorities did not explain her rights and had her sign documents that she did not fully understand after she was arrested on drug-related charges in March. She also said that she did not intend to smuggle drugs into the country and that she had mistakenly packed the cartridges in a rush. Griner faces 10 years in prison if convicted. With WFUV Sports, I'm Taylor Mosetta. Thanks, Taylor. Every Thursday, WFUV's Robin Shannon goes behind the scenes at WFUV with the FUV Focus Spotlight. Today, she sits down with WFUV's digital director, Laura Fideli, to recap the Newport Folk Festival. So, Laura, the Newport Folk Festival was back in full capacity over the weekend. And as WFUV's resident Newport expert, let's start with a big surprise. Joni Mitchell played her first full set years after suffering an aneurysm. So how was the crowd's reception to that? Well, she means so much to so many people. And everyone thought she'd never be able to perform again. So people were crying, just squeezing each other, you know? And it started as a as a big group sing-along, and it was led by Brandy Carlisle. She had Marcus Mumford, Taylor Goldsmith. Oh, this woman named Celise Henderson did a version of Help Me that was unreal. And everyone was singing. But then when Joni just stepped up on her own to play and sing, it was totally silent. And Paul Simon also was a surprise for the Newport crowd. What were the highlights of his performance? That was the same kind of thing, really fun. Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats and a bunch of friends started it as a tribute. And near the end, he said, you know, now I want to bring out Paul Simon. And everybody went crazy. And he broke into Graceland, which is such a happy song. And everyone was dancing. And so they did uh, four songs at the end with people joined in and then ended it. The Sound of Silence, solo acoustic. The sun was setting over the water. Really lovely. Perfect ending. And did anyone debut any new music or or new albums, Laura? Yeah, there were a few. Um, The National started, they they closed on Friday night, and they've been teasing some of their new songs on tour. They played a new song that they'd never played live before called Space Invaders. Here come the melee, like a space invader. which features the banjo, by the way, which is not something you usually expect from the National. Um, Sylvan Esso, which had a huge crowd on the main stage in the middle of the hot afternoon, played their entire new album, No Rule Sandy, to start their set out. That was great. And a really fun, um, well, I don't know, fun, but a a great moment. Um, A woman named Maddie Diaz, who people were talking about all weekend. She did a cover of uh, Patty Griffin's uh, song, um, Be Careful, which is a great old song, but she added a new verse. She wrote a verse for it in response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, so that was that was new. I was old and new. And uh, lastly, Laura, did everything at the Newport Folk Festival run smoothly or were there, you know, any little last minute schedule changes for any artists? Well, there's they have three stages plus some small ones running nine hours a day. There's always some shuffles. 
Um, there was kind of a heartbreaking one, Japanese Breakfast, who so many people wanted to see, got moved around a few times and ended up right opposite the Brandy Carlisle, Joni Mitchell set. So definitely didn't get as many people as she deserved to get. Um, and the band Bonnie Light Horseman was supposed to play all of the Mermaid Avenue album, but COVID. Uh, so they ended up um, pulling together some artists who were there. They called it uh, Cluster Folk, which is funny. And we got to see Natalie Merchant and Lucas Nelson, um, Robert Ellis, Craig Finn. He said he was just trying to go and attend the festival and ended up on stage. <laughs> Sounds like you had a ball, Laura. Yes. Thanks, Laura. Great. Thanks, Robin. That was Robin Shannon discussing the Newport Folk Festival with festival favorite Laura Fideli, who is also WFUV's digital director. You can read Laura's full festival recap with photos and video at WFUV.org. And that's our show for today. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Christina Lulich. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.